Welcome to the Don Pravda and Erica Gray Show. The Twist. Welcome to The Twist News. I'm Erica Gray. I'm Don Pravda. Welcome. Today, we're pleased to announce that we are going to be interviewing Diane Sayre, who is the candidate or one of the candidates for the New York Senate. And I'm sure you're going to find some of her views very challenging and at the very least interesting. Hey, good evening. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the New York U.S. Senate candidates debate. For some reason, only one candidate has shown up for the actual debate, which is here in front of Union College, and that is myself, Diane Sayre, the LaRouche Independent candidate running against Chuck Schumer. Now we are pleased to introduce Diane. Great. We're thrilled to have you, Diane. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Okay. So you're to talk today about the financial collapse. Yes. Well, I hope everyone's hanging on to their pants and whatever else they should hang on to. Because uh, what I have to say is that there has been nothing done that's repaired this. And really, since 2008, when we should have done certain basic measures like reinstate the Glass-Steagall Act, which would have prevented the most recent set of banks from going under, uh, that was not done either. All that was done was to consolidate more money, more derivatives obligations in the hands of fewer banks, which means that what we're sitting on is really a powder keg that's just going to blow. And unless we change some of the fundamental policies of our nation's economic policy, and now it's global, um, I think worse things are in store. I hate to say that, but uh, I think most people know deep down that just finding a buyer for a signature bank or Credit Suisse getting a bailout uh, is not going to solve the problem we're in right now. What do you feel is the worst policy that needs to be changed? Well, so many. <laughs> I, I think the delusion that we're going to solve this by playing with interest rates is perhaps the worst. Raising the interest rates, what does that do actually for small business you know, owners or people trying to get loans? It just puts people more in debt. And then I saw, I think, the statements from Christine Lagarde, the head of the European uh, Central Bank, take the cake. She said, well, the way we're going to stop inflation is by cutting wages. I mean, of course, if the price of everything is going up and you want, you just have to stop people from being able to buy anything. And then um, somehow, I guess on your statistics, it'll show there's less inflation because people didn't buy anything. You have a really good point there. And what about the deficit too? The, the deficit is just astronomical. Well, the thing is fictitious. And I think Americans have gotten very confused over the years, uh, which is they confuse money for real economy. And this is where Lyndon LaRouche was such a genius and way, way before his time, and for which he was terribly vilified, which is that his work was as a what you would call a physical economist, that the whole point of economy, I mean, who created the economy? Is it like a natural phenomenon, like an earthquake? Oh, we have a dollar. Oh, we have a bank. No, 
the government. It's a creation of man. Currency. I mean, Ben Franklin argued perhaps first and then Hamilton, this question of a paper currency, the idea of credit. For what? To improve the standard of living of human beings. If your economy doesn't improve the standard of living of your population, then there's something wrong with that. What is involved in our standard of living? Do you have electricity? Do you have clean drinking water? Are you able to get adequate nutrition? Are your children being educated? Uh, can you expect that future generations will live with a higher standard of living than you currently have? That's the purpose of economy. But today you would think that human beings are appendages. It's like the poor people who are filthy rich. <laughs> and I put it because they're, they've become appendages of a trust fund, right? So it's as if the person doesn't have their own sovereign existence, they just have to carry out whatever. They're somehow stuck to this blob of money, which dictates their behavior as opposed to, I mean, another way of looking at it is if, suppose you ended up stranded on a deserted island. If you had six suitcases full of $100 bills or gold or silver, would that really help you if there was no place to spend the money or no one to trade with? Maybe you would rather that you had fresh water, uh, that there was some food, maybe there was some fruit trees, there was... So mm -hmm. somehow we've gotten very, very removed from reality. And unfortunately, all of the people getting economics degrees at universities, all of these so-called experts are, are really in la-la land. A few of your ideas would be delighted to yeah. share. Sure. Want to hear your uh, ideas. <laughs> you so we ideas. should return to the what used to be known as the American system of political economy, really founded by Alexander Hamilton, our first Treasury Secretary. So one, um, we need to we do need to reinstate the Glass-Steagall Act. We do need to separate commercial normal savings and loan activity from speculation. We don't want our deposits or our pension funds to be collateral for someone's gambling habit. Uh, so there are certain things that you wanna put up that firewall and protect. Now to do that at this point, you'd have to do something like what happened during FDR's bank holiday, which is people would have to go through the books of the banks and see what is legitimate what is illegitimate? What is debt that we want to honor and restructure? What is debt that we're going to have to write off? Now, in the course of that, what are you going to find? Drug money laundering, human trafficking, uh, organ selling. I mean, you're going to find all kinds of hideous things. A, a colleague of mine had once was, uh, I think, in the White House press club during Obama's presidency and asked former Attorney General Eric Holder this was in the 2000, after the 2008 crash, so it must have been early on. Uh, why is it? We just had this enormous crash. Clearly, there were many people in banking doing all kinds of fraudulent things that either used to be illegal, still are illegal, shouldn't be legal. Why is it that not one single major banker has even been indicted? And Holder said, well, we can't do that. That would bring down the whole system. So in effect, what you're admitting is you have a criminal system that's no one no one is interested in looking at, 
because they feel they have to preserve the system even over the well-being of 340 million Americans or however many we are right now. So Glass-Steagall first and foremost, we also have to get rid of the Federal Reserve. We need a national bank. That's what our Constitution says. Congress decides when to issue credit. And I know many people say, oh, the Congress, aren't they terrible? How are you? Well, let me tell you this. We have a lot better chance of controlling our congressmen than we do a bunch of perverted bankers who meet at the Bohemian Grove and have private meetings and decide what to do, uh, which gets me to something else, which is why I'm running, which is we have to take responsibility for what our congressmen do. You know, don't say I didn't vote for this person. Most likely you didn't vote for the person. We know there's a lot of problems with our elections. Doesn't mean you can't visit their office. Doesn't mean you can't get everyone on your block to visit their office or go to their town hall meeting. Or, you know, you've seen some of my young volunteers on social media, the disruptions at the AOC town halls or Hakeem Jek Je challenge these people in public. The whole world is looking at us. And they're saying, are you crazy? You have a president who's showing signs of dementia, who you're a nuclear power. Are the American people really for this? You're not all in concentration camps yet. <laughs> you know what? So why isn't this being stopped? And I think we're beginning to get a glimmer of, of opposition. There's a growing movement. But uh, we do have to take responsibility for our government, what our government does. We you cannot. Have a really good point. And you also have a good point, too. I've listened to your rage against the machine when you spoke down in Washington and all of the money that's going for the wars. But you have an excellent point, And that's a really good proposal as far as just really pressing the Congress people or the congressmen and women concerning decisions. Yes. And. I we used to um, often go to Washington and meet with members of Congress, and it was very good for just our average activists because most people had never talked to their congressman before. They hadn't gone to D.C., and people feel very intimidated. Oh, this is a congressman. They must know so much. And then you go there and you discover that they hardly know anything, or in a rare case, maybe they know something, or they have a senior staffer who's really on the ball. But a lot of their staff are very young people who really don't know anything. Uh, we really should not be so intimidated by these people. And also, nowadays, to get into the Congress, you really have to be a multimillionaire, pretty much. Um, so they're protected. They don't know what people are going through. They didn't have to do what I did if you're an incumbent to get 45,000 signatures to get on the ballot. So we were in front of grocery stores talking to tens of thousands of people all over the state of New York. What did we find? People were coming out of the grocery store in tears. I can only afford three bags of groceries and it was $147. This used to cost me $60. People saying, I had to take my eggs back in because I couldn't afford my prescription. Or people saying, I, I'm going to be out of my retirement. My retirement fund is going to be gone in three years at this rate. I don't know what I'm going to do. That's what Americans are experiencing. Wow. Is anyone in the Congress experiencing that? No. And, and I noticed too, Diane, you're very energetic. I've got to say, I admire your energy. You're very energetic. 
you're very knowledgeable too of the issues and of what's going on, but that's a really, that's really good information that you just relayed what people are actually stating. That's pretty horrific to have to choose between eggs or a prescription. And you're right. Are any of these Congress people really getting out with the people? No, I lived in D.C. for 10 years, some years ago. And sometimes in the subway, I would see the staffers and they have like a briefing book. And their briefing book, so they can be up on all the issues, is Xerox clippings from the Washington Post, the New York Times. Think about that. Supposedly, they can get briefed by the FBI, the CIA, defense, and to not that, and these days that would be any better, but they're supposed to be experts, and there are some here and there who actually know things, who actually go to libraries and read books, but if the policymakers are basing their decisions on the propaganda that's in our mainstream press, where we have the most intense wartime propaganda I have ever seen in my entire life. Actually, I agree with you. We agree with you there. We've yeah. reported on that propaganda. And it's easy to detect because there's about four or five different terms. And it starts with the leaders, and then you hear it reported in the media. But that's actually pretty shocking revelation, Diane, that the staffers are reading the New York Times and the Washington Post. That's how they're getting information. Yeah, that's how they're kept up on the issue. So those newspapers aren't talking about standing in front of the grocery store and what people are experiencing. Well, not only that, when you have a press piece, let's say a piece that comes out from Europe or comes out from Russia or anywhere, you'll see different journalists will have different takes. So what you're even just reading, let's say, in the Washington Post is just one journalist's take on maybe a small piece of that information. And so it's pretty shocking that these staffers are not going to the press departments themselves for the releases or for the statements, but are relying on a journalist who may only be reporting on one statement and elaborating on that policy and omitting a good deal of other important information. So no wonder why our government well, is just so stupid. Well, although staffers feel fidelity to the congressmen, congresswomen that they work for on Capitol Hill. It's their yes. job and they're drawing a, a paycheck from the United States government. I'd like to ask you, if I threw a few names at you, uh, AOC, Bowman, do you have more in common with them? Is it possible you have more in common with Marco Rubio or Hawley or somebody who's more independent? Do you, do you feel some uh, connection to certain uh, U.S. Congress people or Congresswomen? Or well, I would say the ones that I might have the most in common with right now are the ones who are the most anti-war. So Rand Paul, Matt Gitz, Marjorie Taylor Greene has been very good on Ukraine. I I don't agree with her on China. I, I don't think we need a war with China either. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a growing group. And interestingly, you know, the whole Progressive Caucus, of course, turned out to be a complete fraud. They voted for every nickel that's gone to Ukraine, and that's why they've been getting I'm interrupted. Yeah, but 
you know what just happened on this Matt Gates bill to get our troops out of Syria. This is fascinating uh, because, of course, he's considered the big Trump Republican, the disruptor, right of Kevin McCarthy, et cetera. Well, he, he, his base is all military. And our troops who are in Syria, where for no reason except to steal oil and weed and starve people to death um, and generally be targeted, uh, he said, we should get our troops out of there. There's no declaration of war. And he drafted a very short, it was about a three-sentence bill, not 3,000 pages, three sentences. There is no war resolution under the War Powers Act. Congress has to authorize this deployment of our troops. We should get them out of there. And it was first within 15 days of the thing passing. And then he said 180 days because he got someone was working with him. We said, you can get Democrats on this and change it to 180 days, maybe so. Biden could avoid the fiasco that his Afghanistan withdrawal was. I'm not sure. But what was interesting is the Progressive Caucus got behind his bill. I almost fainted, really. I didn't expect it. And not all of them. But the vote ended up being 56 Democrats and 47 Republicans. So 103 out of 435 voting to get our troops out of Syria is a really excellent beginning. That is the shift because generally on matters of war, the horrible gutless spectacle in our Congress is it's maybe two people who vote against it and everyone else just gets stampeded into going along. And, and Gitz said that he is not giving up on this. And then maybe you saw Rand Paul just introduced a resolution to end the authorization of the use of military force after 2001. And that got nine votes in the Senate, um, which is small. But again, when you consider that it's usually two to 98 or something, uh, that's why I'm saying that people shouldn't feel that it's hopeless. You should really bombard your congressman. Things are not as locked in as they appear. Well, it's getting people to actually make that move and write those letters or make those phone calls that can sometimes be difficult. But it you're is. right. If they do, I mean, this is horrific. And and uh, but why are why are so many voting for these wars? Is it the money involved in the defense contracts? I mean, what is the reason? I think it's largely that it is money. You know, Lloyd Austin came in from Raytheon. Raytheon has apparently made thirty billion dollars in this war. That's a horrible conflict of interest, I might say. How can we, how can that be allowed? So the congressman, it's a lot of that. And then it's also these crazy polls where you have these fake rigged polls and they say, oh, 97% of Americans think, and they word it in such a way, do you think we should do more to help uh, Ukraine? Well, that can mean anything. Someone might say yes, but they mean humanitarian aid or they mean, they don't mean sending weapons, right? So they word it in such a way that you get this huge, you know, basically you're going to be thrown out of office if you don't support this because our opinion polls show X. And that's why I'm saying calling, writing, visiting your congressman is so important. Um, when I was doing more work on Capitol Hill, one of the things we discovered is that if an office gets even four or five 
phone calls or letters on the same subject, they will report it to the member of Congress. Wow, that's pretty that's encouraging, actually, for people to get involved and call in. But the media, as you talked about the propaganda, I mean, there's a lot of propaganda around Ukraine. I mean, it's as if there's no other war that's ever happened in the history of the world, but Ukraine and the Ukrainians are elevated to this almost this status of there's nobody else in the world but the Ukrainians. I mean, it's sickening. It's almost surprising that people don't see through this. I mean, not I'm not negating the horror of what. And by the way, talk about the horror of the war and all the war footage that's blamed on Russia. What about all of the billions that are being spent by the European Union and the US to keep this war going, contributing to the bloodshed but the propaganda machine seems to be very, very strong in the United States. And how do you fight against that? Posing well, by campaigning, going out on the street, using social media, as long as they'll keep me on the air. Um, I actually started a newspaper, which I'm going to have to gear up again, this campaign, which came out once a month, because I said, at least if it's on paper, they can't shut me down. Um, I can say what needs to be said without fear of censorship. Uh, and I think a lot of people know, but again, the, the narrative is so shaped by this dynamic, because I've had people, I've gone to meetings and people say um, they're not sure. So they say something like, um, you know, that war in Ukraine isn't really what they're telling us. They won't come out and say, well, they have a bunch of neo-Nazis who are committing war crimes. That's like too extreme. Or talk about the bioweapons labs of which there were 46 and Victoria Newland admitted. There was actually 46. 46 wow. of them. And she just calls them bio-research labs. But one of the things... You may recall um, maybe a few months into the battle, a prison where the Russians were holding Ukrainian prisoners of war got blown up and it was targeted by the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians blew up a prison with their own men in it. Mm -hmm. And the reason was that the Russians were doing blood tests. They were finding, because the Ukrainian military for all that Biden supposedly cares so much about these people were being used as guinea pigs by these bio research laboratories and the Russians were reporting that everybody was on antibiotics, that certain kinds of diseases like West African diseases were existed in Ukraine, which didn't really make sense. These kind of things. We don't know the whole report. And I think it would be very dangerous to say a lot, you know, until all the evidence is presented in a fair court. But Knowing the mentality, I had a uh, former military person who worked with NATO on my symposium, and he verified that he knew they had the bio research uh, laboratories in Ukraine. He said he had seen them on the maps that he was working on when when he was there. Well, also, there's a lot in the news now about these abduction of children. And do you have anything to report on that? Well, uh, Colonel McGregor said that there are videos that he's seen of the Ukraine because they're out of troops. They're running out of troops. And he and Scott Ritter and others estimate as many as 300,000 Ukrainian soldiers have died. I mean, that's what's so hideous. This is so satanic. 
so satanic to use these people like this. And Zelensky is such a drug addicted egomaniac. He doesn't give a damn. <laughs> I mean, really. So, um, you know, so. Sorry, I wasn't expecting that. Okay, whatever. And that's probably being diplomatic, right? At any rate, so they're just being ground up. So what McGregor reported is he's seen videos that he thinks are credible of the Ukrainian army going into cafes in Kiev and rounding up 14-year-old boys at gunpoint and forcing them to join the army and shipping them out to the front lines. It's hideous. Now, what Putin well, is the story, There's all these stories about children being abducted by Russia for right. re-education camps. And anything that I hear in the U.S. media, I just listen as a grain of salt because of the propaganda piece and i would want to check with you know on that so i just was in right. I, well, I was talking about more specifically no. uh, i see i said that because the the ukrainians it's typical nazi behavior is you accuse the other person of doing what you are doing now in the case of russia unlike ukraine they always try to evacuate all the civilians before something becomes a war zone and there are many children now in Ukraine who are orphans or who are stuck in these combat zones. So the Russians are removing them. They say they plan to reunite them with their families or get them back to Ukraine afterwards if they want to go back to Ukraine. I mean, who knows? Um, but I would tend to find that credible just because you see the difference between how civilians are treated. You might remember even Amnesty International said that Ukraine was using civilians as human shields. And Zelensky went absolutely bonkers over that. And, and it's the Russian- tragic that stories like this are underreported. The Nazi element that's in Ukraine has been touted by media or Western media as fiction, uh, delusional on the mm -hmm. part of Putin. And it's really, really tragic that the West now is turned, the media is turned into just a propaganda machine. 500,000 people in it, the ultra-naturalist slash Nazi party. It's a lot of people, 500,000. Sure, and they banned the opposition parties largely. 13 opposition parties were banned. And as you heard now, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, they're rounding up the priests and expelling them from the church. This is the great democracy. I love this. You know, we're going to have a summit. Biden is hosting a summit for democracy in Washington, D.C. A lot of the world is calling it the summit for hypocrisy because we're running around. Talking about <laughs> Diane, you have these great one-liners. <laughs> I like that, too. So, for our, what party are you running on? What is the exact name of it? Well, that's a very... Funny question, um, because I will be independent. In the state of New York, you're not allowed to be independent. You can't use that word on the ballot. And you are forced by the Board of Elections to create what they call an independent body. So in 2022, since I wanted the name LaRouche associated with my candidacy, I said, well, okay, I'll be LaRouche independent. Then they struck the word independent and gave me the name LaRouche party. There is no such thing as the LaRouche party. I am simply an unaffiliated voter, but because of the laws of New York, I had to say that this body existed. 
will it be the same in 2024? Probably I will do that, although I have to say there are some very interesting things building nationally, different kinds of independent movements, like Tulsi Gabbard has not joined the Republican Party. She left the Democratic Party. I know she and Dennis Kucinich are speaking at something called the Internet, the Independent National Convention. If they end up running a presidential slate or running a slate, whether or not they have a, you know, maybe I would end up being part of something like that. It's hard to say, but I'm definitely not going to affiliate with either of the major parties. Some years ago, George Pataki, the governor, did get enough signatures to get on the independent slate. You know, it was a very small amount of uh, votes, actually, but more or less, he said, I'll take them. So he did run as an independent and a Republican. Mm -hmm. Probably still exists, but you need a lot of signatures uh, for that and a right. lot of money to get on that ballot. Yeah, they've tripled the requirement since right. then. It was 15,000 right. in a statewide race, which is hard enough. Right. Now it's 45,000 in six weeks. And I know the Libertarian and the Green parties are in a lawsuit to try and get it changed. It is unconstitutional. I did it. I'm the only one in the state who managed to meet that threshold. We filed 66,000 signatures. I did it with all volunteers. I didn't pay professional anything to do this. Um, but it was really insane. It was terrible. I couldn't do anything else. And And me... Unlike perhaps other candidates, I'm very hands-on. I want to know what people are having to go through and what they're doing. So I did a lot of the petitioning myself. And um, it just, I couldn't even do a speaking engagement, an interview. I wouldn't do anything during that entire six weeks unless I could get 100 signatures at whatever it was. It was that intense. It was just all-consuming. And that takes away time from doing other things that a candidate would right. normally Doing. Right. Yeah, that's really too bad. Anyway, Diane, we've run out of time. Oh. So we're going to wrap this up. We'll definitely be having you back. I really enjoyed what you had to say. Born and raised in New York, and you offer a lot of challenging opinions. And <laughs> we're open to ideas. Yes. Good. And I really enjoyed your one liners. Thank you. Okay. Well, Don, that was an interesting interview. And she had a lot of good stuff to say. And whether you agree or disagree, I hope you found her viewpoints challenging and uh, in your face. And more. And for more from Diane, check out our recommended channels. Every time we have a guest on the show who has a YouTube channel, we recommend their channels. Be sure to check it out. Also check out our Amazon store. And if you don't subscribe to our channel, be sure to subscribe today. Don, any final words? Don't subscribe tomorrow, subscribe today. from Don Provder and Erica Gray for their twist on world news.